Hello, it's wonderful to be back with another edition of Pet Chat. Cheryl Shaw, Dr Paul McCarthy, welcome to you both. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. I tell you, the wet weather's made us all a bit crazy. We've been having laughs and carrying on in the studio already, haven't we? We were all waterlogged, Sarah. It's I just nice we... to be out of the house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is nice. I know we love the rain, but that was a lot of rain in a very short succession, so it is nice to see blue skies. Now, Cheryl, what are we chatting about today? Oh, we're going to be talking about uh, motion sickness in dogs. So, you know, just like people, dogs can also get sick when they're travelling in the car. That's a good one because we've had quite a few calls about just that uh, over over the past few weeks so a lot of questions might be answered during this one yeah we'll be able to give some strategies to help out robin in charlestown now you've adopted a six-year-old rag doll cat and you've got a question for paul today well i have he's six years old when i got him they told me that he had a lot of issues um and they couldn't tell me why what happened to him in the past so anyway long story short i adopted him um and one of the main issues i have when he first, I first got him, he was very timid, wouldn't go near anybody, which is fine now. But I can't stop him from weeing on the floor. And I have tried everything. And he just doesn't like trays. He doesn't like anything like that. And he just does it on the floor. Is it <laughs> so the same location, Robin, every time? Yeah, it's in the same room every yeah. time. I, I put the trays in the same room because that's where I've got his stuff. Um, but he just... He just goes there, and I've tried, I've got him the U Butte tray with the lid and all that sort of stuff, and he just yeah, I just can't get him to stop. Okay, so certainly um, it can be challenging often with a rescue cat in that they may not have had previous exposure to other cat litter um, cat litters. So you can often it can be the sediment you're using in the cat litter tray can be a, can be a, a factor. Have you tried changing to different sediments? I have. I've used the crystals, yep. and I've also then used the clumping one. Yeah, try and... try the paper, and sometimes even just trying the tray without anything in it. Um, oh, okay. It, it can yeah. sometimes be that even having something in there can upset the cat, particularly if they're choosing the floor. Okay. Are they floorboards or carpet that you've got in that room? No, it's not carpet. It's just like floorboards. Yeah, so one. maybe the fact that it is there's nothing that we're urinating on may be what this cat's used to, because it could have been that this cat actually only had floors to urinate on before um okay. so often yep. in, in in where cats are uh coming from a rescue scenario their their surroundings and how they were taught and what strategies they had to put in place to have their their business done could yeah. mean that that's what they're going to try and then carry through their whole life and it may not be that this that the um litter tray is in the wrong spot or it's the wrong kind it just might be that there's something in it um, right. And you could certainly look at, at using some um, using nothing in there to see if that made a difference, particularly oh, if, if it's not. the same location, because it doesn't sound like he's necessarily spraying to, to mark the territory. It just no. sounds like he's using that as his bathroom, but he's just choosing the yeah. wrong spot for you guys. Um, yeah, and is. so certainly try that. Uh, how many litter trays are in that room? Well, I had um, I, I have I've got two because mm-hmm. someone said you should use more than one. I had three initially, and then I took one out because I thought, well, I'm better off trying to get him to, you know, not have three in there because the smell obviously as well. Sure. Um, but now I've got two at the moment. Yeah, so certainly I think two generally is, is adequate. You, you can never have too many, for example. But okay. in this circumstance, it may be try without. And then your second line of defence is to have a chat to your local veterinarian about about behaviour, if this could be also a behavioural anxiety response. I, I don't feel safe going into the litter tray. I'm worried I might be being watched or I might be being um, 
if, if he, for example, has been attacked by previous cats when en- exiting or entering a litter tray, that can make them hesitant to enter and exit a tray box. So, oh, okay. um, And there is um, medication we can use for anxious cats to try and help them with that. A common one is called Clomicam, um, which is an, a drug called clomipramine, and that's often very u- useful for cats who do have some anxiety around urination. And it could be, but it's not just that I don't like it. It could be that I'm actually yeah. scared of it. Oh, okay, because I have got one of the plug-in wall ones. Uh, yeah, the Feliway. Yeah, 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 yeah. And certainly Feliway is, is quite a good entry, uh, sort of entry-level help for behavioural disorders. The next okay. step up would be to try something pharmacological like the Clomicam. Okay, so I'll book him into the vet and just get him to have yeah. a look there. Yeah, and I guess the, the last thing also to always check in the cat is whether there's anything such as a UTI. So... Um, uh, underlying urinary tract infections can cause cats to urinate in sort of unusual places because they're doing yeah. it as an urgency rather than I'm um, sort of planning this event out. It's like the spasm hits and I've got to go now. Um, yeah. And so often having a vet collect a urine sample so that you could get that tested just to rule out that there's nothing in there as well. Okay, because he, he meows a lot at night as well, so that's another issue. That I've got yeah, to look, it out. and certainly a lot of rescue cats, as you mentioned, he came with some issues, um, and so often just making him feel comfortable generally with some help from some pharmacology might make it an, an easier life for him as well. Thanks very much for your call, Robin. Four nine two one six two one six is our number if uh, we can help you today with any of your questions. Now, Cheryl, we're looking at uh, travel sickness for our pets. It seems to be quite common, or at least whether it's anxiety or, or, or whatever, but it does seem to be an issue when people are trying to travel with their pets. Absolutely, Sarah. And it really is quite distressing for owners when their dog is, you know, very sick in the car. Look, the most common reason for car sickness with puppies in particular um, is that the ear structures the ear structure isn't fully formed. And that's a problem for the the dog or the puppy, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, so it just plays with their balance centre. So often it just means a bit like if you've been on a merry-go-round too long and you go to get off, um, that's your balance centre giving you a bit of sort of misinformation. And so certainly the middle ear and and the vestibular system in the brain can, can make you feel nauseous from movement. Yeah. So as a puppy grows and this ear structure grows, often they grow out of the car sickness. That's correct. But another problem that um, for the motion sickness for a lot of puppies is because it can be due to anxiety because they've been um, taken away from their mum and their um, their litter and also often it's going to see Paul at the vets or somebody mm. else to get a jab. So they make this association with every time they go in the vehicle that something bad has happened. So it hasn't been a positive experience for them. And so then they become quite anxious each time they're put in the car. That um, in itself needs to be corrected and the best way to do that is to, um, to what we call recondition the puppy or the dog by doing a thing that you um, first of all start off by taking the puppy into the car and popping it in the back seat just as though you were going to go somewhere but you do not start the car. Sit in the seat, don't talk to the puppy and then after a minute or two pop out, go back inside, give the puppy a treat, be really happy and that puppy will experience something really positive. Nothing bad happened. If you do this for a few days, even a week or more and then after that you then step it up a little bit you need to then start the engine but don't go anywhere. So this is really important because we want to make all of these sensations that the puppy's experiencing very positive. So again, we get out of the car, we give some treats in the house and everything's okay. The next stage after that is actually going around the block. But we need to make sure that we're not sort of doing it too quickly. So I do say to people to take your time. And I think this is pretty critical, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, I think that there's... 
there's time and there's also it, it depends on, on the amount of turns you have as well. So um, lots of dogs in a straight line tend to do better um, than in on corners, interestingly. Yes. And so it's often about making sure that the, the journey you're taking is a fairly um, slow, as you said, slow, easy pace, no real speeding up, slowing down. Um, and again, just making that journey as sort of um, stress-free for the, the pet as they can. Yeah, and another thing too is to make sure that you take your windows down a little bit just to take the pressure out of the car and a little bit of air movement will stop the puppy feeling so nauseous. Another thing too, with the car movement, we often don't think we pop the dog in the back of the, you know, the SRL or whatever it is car you've got. Right in the back, we have a problem that there's more motion or more movement in the car. So they're better off on a back seat rather than in the back of the car or the SUV. Um, it's, it's really important though, just to make sure that you're not over talking to the dog. A lot of people talk too much to their puppy and cause more anxiety because they're anxious. They're wanting their dog not to be anxious. So just ignore the puppy for the those few minutes while you're doing this training and then when you get the puppy out then you can talk all you like and get some treats inadvertently Cheryl often people talk to their dogs more when they're anxious yes and so what they're actively doing is reassuring and reaffirming that the action that that dog is doing is the correct one so when they're showing that anxious behavior we're saying it'll be okay it'll be okay and what the dog is hearing is good job you're doing the right thing for this event, which means be stressed next time you get in the car as well. So we think we're comforting them, but we're not. Yeah, and there is always a place for comfort, Sarah. So if your mm. dog is really in that red panic zone, so if, for example, in Cheryl's scenario where that, that dog is just howling and is miserable, yeah. stop the car, reassure your puppy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're pull not, over. We don't want to make this a terrible sort cuddle. of death march. It, it literally needs to be an experience where if the animal has reached threshold, you comfort the animal. Yes, okay. Um, we, and, and that goes for any of those steps along the way. So even in that sitting in the drive with the engine on, if your dog starts to get agitated, um, you try initially to ride the storm out. If that agitation is not stopping, you stop the process. Because what will then happen is the dog will remember that fear from last time yeah, okay. and it makes your next restart challenging. Yes, yes. and you can see those signs, the, the drooling, the, the, you know, the dog may also be very agitated, moving a lot, or it might be just so startled that it's sitting there absolutely terrified. So we do need to look at what they're doing. But, you know, with other things too, if it's not working, you need to go to your vet. They can help you with some medication. And, Paul, there's good medications out there to overcome this, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. So a common one is called Serenio which is maripotent as its active ingredient. And it works terrifically for motion sickness. Um, and the, the in, in some dogs, there is true motion sickness, but it doesn't go away with age. Mm. So there are dogs who will always be motion sick. Is that quite a small percentage, very though, much Paul? So. Is, is most yeah, of it associated so. with anxiety? Correct. Mm. Yeah, I know correct. a lot of dogs travel a lot better in a crate where they can't see outside. Absolutely. And that, for some dogs, that's a great alternative just to, to crate them. And also dogs looking out the window, just like us, if we're seeing something flash past us, it can make us quite unwell. So, yeah, hence yeah. Um, often a blanket over cages for cats is also super handy because they're often focusing, 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 um, and that can make them quite un- unhappy in the vehicle as well. Yeah. Cats generally, in my experience at least, seem to be more terrified of the car than dogs. Two points for that one, Sarah. You're correct. It is certainly, you see much more anxiety with cats than cars because um, cats don't like leaving their turf. Okay. So dogs want to go where the social group goes. Right. Cats want to guard their turf. Right. So if you take them away from their turf, you've already made them anxious. Um, and then if you put them into this scary thing that makes sound and growls and moves, um, that just adds the factor to that. Yeah, so okay. yeah, yeah. Cats much more so than dogs.
Yeah. And another thing, just don't feed your dog if your dog is, a, you know, sickly. Do <laughs> yeah. not feed your dog yeah, before you get in that, that car. Yeah. <laughs> some really good advice. And I know we do have some calls coming through about motion sickness. Patricia in Budgewee, you've got a puppy that gets motion sickness. Yes, I have. Um, I got him when he was six months old and he's always had car sickness and he doesn't appear to be anxious. Yeah. So, Patricia, he could truly be one of these dogs who just gets motion sickness. Yeah. Um, like, like some people um, who yep. can't sort of sit in the front seat, you know, can't sit in the back seat of a car, have to be in the front seat of a car. There are a group of puppies and, and adult dogs who then go on to become these guys who are sadly continually motion sickness, even if you do the desensitization. Um, yep. yep. What, what breed of dog is your dog, Patricia? He's a Maltese. Yeah, I was going to say small breed dogs do yep. seem to be overrepresented in those dogs that have genetically predisposed motion sickness. It does seem he, to be a much more small dog problem. He was born very small. He's 15 months old now, but he's still only two kilos. Okay, yeah. So, so maybe that is it, something. It, it could be. Also, being a very small dog, everything is going to be bigger and scarier for him anyway because his, yep. his world is going to be more challenging. So even though he may not be demonstrating you the classic symptoms of anxiety, which are, as as Cheryl mentioned, those sort of, you know, the vocalising or the drooling or the shaking, yep. have a look when he's next in the car at how often he's yawning, mm. how often he's blinking. Because often an increased blinking rate and an increased yawning rate. So dogs rarely yawn because they're tired. They generally are yawning to give an indication that they're anxious. So if you look for those very subtle indicators, it could be that it's still a worthwhile process in trying that desensitization again. Yeah. And for some cases, it's about the fact that we often, as Cheryl mentioned before, they don't go in cars very many places that are often good. Um, and it could be that if you increase, oh, okay. if, you, if you do daily journeys to somewhere that he likes to go to, yep. that might help with that as well. In that often, as Cheryl mentioned, it's going to the vets for an, an injection or it's going to boarding and leaving their parents behind. So often these journeys for car, journeys in cars for dogs don't end in good places. So often if you increase that, have more trips to the park, or even if you just go around the block and have a nice talk in the car and then come back and get a treat for being in the car for that, that time period, yeah. it just means we're not always linking that journey with a bad destination right okay that sounds actually pretty close i think yeah, often we don't often recognise those very early indicators that our dog is anxious and and often they're telling us a lot more information than we're actually picking up. Brotherhood of man, save your kisses for me. I love how songs can transport you back in time. Dr Paul, you were sharing a beautiful memory of that I song. I was, Sarah. So this is a song that reminds me of my mother and she would often sing this in the car to us when we were driving places. So I, I call out to my mum, who I hope, I hope is listening today. <laughs> <laughs> you better There's be, one mum. for you, mum. Oh, isn't that lovely? <laughs> so sweet. So so nice. We're talking pet chat four nine two one six two one six. If you've got a question, now's the time to get in to ask it. Now, Paul, we were talking earlier on about uh, our, our pets getting car sickness, and a mm. lot of these behaviours you can we can actually help and Correct. desensitise our pets to. That's them. right. So, as Cheryl touched on, reconditioning or de- desensitisation is a common technique we use for lots of our domestic pets to try and have them 
deal with situations that can be challenging um, and hopefully have them get to the stage where they can habituate to that that challenge and it just becomes something that just happens on a daily basis. There's nothing to stress about. This is a normal event. Um, and it can be very simple things. So um, as Cheryl will probably have in her practice, dogs coming in whose owners can't clip their nails, um, that's a very common thing. And so... Again, if you start these guys as puppies, you can desensitise them to this action. It's quite confronting for a dog to have its paws held. Mm. And so as Cheryl would do and as we do in our puppy classes, playing with your puppy's feet on a regular basis so they get used to that first. And it could be that the first time you get the clippers out, you just make the sound of the clippers. You link, link that with a treat. You pay that with either if it's a, a food made of a dog, you use food. If it's praise made of a voted dog, you use praise. Um, and don't forget those toy motivated dogs. So often those working dogs, if you get the ball out to show them the ball for what they've done and something that you want them to, that can be enough praise to have them want to do that again. Okay. Um, and so as with the car, we were talking about each of these processes in a desensitization program need to be slowly done. So the most common issue we have with clients who have said it hasn't worked is that they've asked too much of their puppy or their kitten or or, or their bird in these circumstances as well. Um, they've asked too much too soon. It literally requires you to get each little goal ticked off before you move to the next one. Um, and often you will have failure if you try and accelerate that process too quickly. And so this is the, a very common thing also for people who often think that um, – their dogs are very bright and everyone's child is very smart. And so often it's about realising that if you don't then do it for two weeks, that if you try to start to the next jump up, you've got to start from the beginning again. So that repetition is critical. Okay. So how do we know when they're ready to move on to the to the next stage, when they're looking completely calm when Absolutely. you're doing the first yep, stage yep, and, and they've been calm S- for a period of time spot on Sarah so you're looking for those indicators that we are actually enjoying this now this is not something that we're fearful of and I probably shouldn't use the word enjoy it is I'm just okay with this I'm now. tolerating I'm not it. wagging my tail and excited <laughs> about being in the car necessarily but I can sit there okay and, and I'm not licking my lips I'm not blinking too rapidly I'm not yawning um, and so what I've done is I've, I've become accustomed to it it's just something that I have to get done and so with the repetition, Paul, uh, for example, using the, the car trip, mm. uh, so we get them to a point where they're quite comfortable doing a trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're saying don't then leave it for a couple of weeks no. and do another one because no. you could set yourself back to square one. A hundred percent correct. And this is a really common scenario. So we often get, um, so puppies need to come for their vaccinations three times as a puppy. And so with doing the desensitization, people are getting their, their dogs in their car, getting them getting used to that. They're doing their short journeys. They're getting to their third vaccination. The car, the dogs had no problems with car sickness. It's really good in the car. And then they don't put the dog in the car for another year because um, they come in for their annual vaccination. And then all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, my dog's car sick again. And so yeah. often it's about the fact that if you, don't re- if you don't repeat these, at least on a regular basis, and it needn't be every day, it needs to be enough of a frequency that they don't forget what the experience is about so you don't have to retrain them again. Okay. And I guess another big one is storms. We get a lot yeah. of people calling um, and saying that, you know, storms terrify that's uh, right. their pets. So a, that's a little bit of a different situation because we can't determine when it's going to storm. Correct. So the the unpredictable nature of storms do make them difficult to desensitise to. Now, certainly you can try and mimic the storms with, um, uh, I used to say, 
Storm tapes, but I don't know if everyone's got a tape deck anymore. So um, Storm um, MP3s or, yes, or, yes. or whatever your computer can spit out for them. Um, they can certainly help. The only challenging thing to, to mimic a Storm's activity is that change in barometric pressure that often mm. the dogs have picked up on well before we've heard the first crackle of, of anything. Um, and so what we generally suggest with Storm phobias is the first time you have a, a, a Storm with your dog, go out in it. And act really normal. Okay. So put your rain jacket on, walk out into that storm, and just look like you're just doing your normal walk. Yep. So what you're showing by the social group not showing any fear, that the dog has nothing to fear because the social group aren't scared either. Okay. Now, for those people who have a dog who doesn't like being out in the rain, it needn't be because you've got to stand out in it. It just means that you're showing the dog while that storm's occurring that you're not worried. Often what we do is we, we say, it'll be okay, it's just a storm, come here, we'll give you a hug, sit on my lap, it'll be okay. And that puppy then realises that when the storm comes, you've got to be on the lap. Um, yeah. And so you've often made a rod for your own back in those cases. So this is an important thing is that storm phobias always grow too. So if you've started that storm phobia, that noise phobia, it's going to get worse every storm we get. Yeah. And okay. so trying right from the get-go to try and have that storm be normalised by the social group will help. Arbids in Mayfield, you've got a stray cat that's adopted you. You do hear this quite often. Yeah, it, I was in Cooks Hill when she adopted me. Um, and what it is, it's quite funny. I've had it now for about three years. She's probably about four or five years old. When she first arrived, I'd feed her, but she wouldn't let me pat her for about two or three months. Then finally she allowed me to pat and then slowly she managed to stay inside. But the thing is, she does not like other people. If anyone comes to the house, she runs and hides mm. and does not like other cats, something awful. Um, and even with me, every now and again, if I make sudden moves, she skittish and runs and hides under the bed. Uh, anything I can do or do I just <laughs> live with it? Yeah, sure. So this is a, a common scenario in cats who've often had to fend for themselves in the wild is yeah. that they, they've often got this important sort of um, protection strategy that anything strange or different is to be feared first until yeah. proven to be safe. Um, so you've often got in those circumstances a cat that's always going to be fairly sort of vigilant about any change. Now, you, you certainly can help this. So um, as one of our previous listeners mentioned, she uses the Feliway diffusers. So these are a plug-in you put into your, the, the wall of your PowerPoint. Um, yeah. And it releases a pheromone that female cats well, mother cats use to keep their kittens relaxed while they're feeding. And so this pheromone can be used in your home to try and make your home smell safe. Um, so that's often a handy thing. You can also, as I spoke before, there is um, pharmacology that there, there are medications, antidepressants you can use for generalised anxiety to try and help a cat become a, a safer as well. Some really simple behavioural things you can do is it's not an inappropriate thing for your cat to run when a stranger visits your house. That That's a, a really common thing and one I would suggest that you allow to have happen. Um, what I would suggest is you always have a space available for that cat to go to, so make sure there's always a door to a room open that the cat can escape to, preferably oh. the same room every time so that the, the cat can go to that same safe spot. And when yeah, the cat... She always goes into my bedroom, always. Beautiful. So just make sure your bedroom's always open for her to have access. And when she's chosen to be in that room, we don't bring her out from there. 
So she comes out on her own time at her own pace in that often trying to remove a cat from their safety zone makes that place no longer a safety zone. Um, And and so it can make them more scared. Yeah, she she goes on. I just leave it to herself. Beautiful. Um, And generally through the day she she likes to sleep under the bed there and stay there. But uh, at night time when I was sitting in the living room and and starting to watch TV, she will come out and then sit on the lounge with me. Yeah. I think you're doing all the right things, my friend. I think this is a situation where you've got a cat who will always be fairly vigilant um, about change, about movement, and you're doing a very kind thing by giving her the space to go to when she feels scared and just do all your movements slowly for her, often vocalising before you move as well. So if you're going to get off the lounge and getting off the lounge does startle her, speak first so that she hears what what you're doing. Even if you say, look, I'm going to get off the couch now, she's just got a heads up that movement's coming because she's already looking in your direction and she knows what that movement's about. No, normally, normally actually in the evening on the land, she's fine. Great. She, if I get up, she just sort of looks at me and then just goes back to sleep or whatever. She's feeling it's, safe it's with more, you then, which is lovely. Yeah, it's more through the day than anything else. Yeah, and that's because right? she needs to be more vigilant during the day. More, more, more bad things happen to cats during the day than at night. I didn't know that. Yeah, because lots of their predators are more active during the day than they are in the evening. Ah, that's mm. really interesting. Okay, we're going to go to another caller now. Ken in Bulladila, how can Dr. Paul help you today? Oh, hi, Dr. Paul. Hey, Ken. Hey, look, um, a year ago, my nephew's dog got a white tick. We had to wait several hours for the vet to come to Bulladila, and I kind of went Googling what I could do in the meantime. Uh, ended up crushing vitamin C tablets with some honey and salt and administering it with a kid's neurofin squirter. And after about the third squirt in his mouth, his eyes opened. And after about 10 squirts, he lifted his head, then he put it back down. And eventually he come good. And he still went to the vet and had all the um, good stuff the vet gives. But um, it really saved the day. So, sorry, can, can you say what, what happened at the start? Did you say he, he had a tick? Yeah. Uh, so paralysis he had, tick. He had a white paralysis tick. And okay. And, yeah. it, and it had reached the stage where it had caused paralysis generally. Yeah, yeah he was just laying down crying yeah. through other puppies and I googled. Apparently the Air Force have a vitamin C kit for snake bite for their dogs in the Solomons. Uh, that's where I found it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it was probably actually more the fact that you were opening an airway and getting hydration in than that the vitamin C itself was making a large difference because it, it wouldn't absor- absorb fast enough to make that bigger jump. But certainly the idea of hydration for these guys can be critical because often because of the fact that they may have been paralysis, they're not drinking very well. Um, and so that, that can make a difference. Vitamin C is particularly helpful. Um, this is off, off the topic. But um, guinea pigs get vitamin C deficiency um, and they can often develop paralysis because they get um, – the vitamin C isn't working in their, in their bloodstream. So it's, it's critical for those guys. But I'm not aware of it necessarily being a, a – a, a true antidote per se for paralysis. Yeah, it, but the Air Force is where, the, where this was found to have an, a vitamin C kit for snake bites for their dogs. Yeah. And on, just on that, we've had dogs die from white ticks waiting for vets over the years and I've hydrated them and it's never worked. Yeah. And Interesting I've point. Go I, I will have so to investigate that. In the, Thank you very much for your time. I've got a lot to do. Thank no you. problems. I've wrapped you up. My he goodness. Has. How bizarre. Okay, 49216216. We're going to go to Sandra now. Um, Sandra, you've got a question for Dr. Paul McCarthy. Yes, please. Uh, I have a 15-year-old blue Russian cat, and he's 
every now and then he walks like he's walking on a waterbed and he just needs to sit down. It's almost like he's easy. Okay. And and so how frequently is this occurring? Uh, for the last few months, it's been sort of weekly. It's yeah. not actually mine, he's next door, yeah. but he's over here more than he's there. So. <laughs> sure. It, it sounds to me certainly like there's a neurological disease happening there and, and the, the cat's not getting the normal nerve function or nerve information from the brain down to the feet. And so okay. we, we, call, we call this ataxia. Um, and ataxia can have lots of different causes, but generally it's about the fact that the information being sent from the nerves of the feet to the brain aren't giving all the feedback at, the, at a pace that the legs need to move normally, if that makes sense. Yes. So, so what happens is, is that they make a very stilted, abnormal gait um, and it, it affects yeah. affects their balance because the, the the legs aren't moving in the right directions at the right time. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, right. they're, they're, so neurological disease can have several causes, and and this is a case where I'd certainly have a chat to your neighbour. I, I would think yes, a, a, I a, a, a visit to the vet would be a good case scenario for this cat. In that, really, we want to try and see what that cause is, because there could well be a solution and medication to help with that disease. Oh, great. Thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for your call, Sandra. Let's go now to Helen uh, in Aberglassen. Helen, you've got an elderly dog with bad breath. Is this Helen? Hello. Hello, is this Helen? No, sorry, it's not. That's a, who have we got? It's Beth. Hey, Beth, how can we help you? Um, I have a five-and-a-half-month-old puppy, and she just loves to chew obviously she's teething but she'll chew whatever sticks branches she can get i don't mind if she chews it but she chews it up and swallows it yeah i'm just wondering what she's got toys and stuff is there anything else i can do to stop her eating or yeah sure so so there can be chewing from uh, I, I like this type of chew toy rather than that type of chew toy. So if, if we're choosing sticks, you would look to try and replace sticks with appropriate chew toys that aren't so easily damaged. So things like Kongs rather than soft chew toys. There can also be I'm chewing because I, I'm a little bit bored and so I need to have more stimulus to en- engage okay. me to do other, other things. So right. um, that's, that boredom can be fixed by um, increased walks, um, puzzle sort of food toys where you place food into a puzzle toy and hope and have the, the dog take some time in getting that that food out because um, often you can redirect those behaviors you don't like towards a behavior that's more appropriate for the dog so certainly i think in this circumstance look for rather than it looks like your dog's choosing firm things that you want and so yeah. using toys that are more of that firm nature rather than the soft toys or the the, the plush toys yeah. um and i would think certainly increasing some stimuli so more activities more games um what breed of dog did you say you have she's an old english sheep dog oh, okay so she she needs to do some busy activities so <laughs> um so yeah so it sounds like she probably just needs a has a little bit of boredom happening I, there and yeah so, i think that's Probably it. Perfect. Actually. Yeah. So I, I would get some games going. Get some get some chasing, some hunting games, um, and a, a good walk never goes astray. I think we've got time for one more call. Lucky last, I think Helen is back on the line. Helen uh, in Aberglassen, you've got an elderly dog with bad breath. Yes, that's right. Okay. So now, bad breath it can be multiple causes. The very obvious ones are I've got dental disease. 
Have you had a vet look in your dog's at your dog's yes, teeth? Yes, um, yes, he has. Um, I've taken her a couple of times. Yep. But it seems to only last for a little while, but then she seems to get it back again. And what do you do for your dental hygiene? What, what's what's your dog chewing on to help? Well, I I, I give her those Optimus biscuits, but then every um, I then I give her um, a chicken wing maybe once a week or twice a week. Yeah, so I would think you must. I think it's really important. You probably need to look at dental hygiene as a daily concern. So we need to do at least ten minutes of chew time every day to try and minimise the risk of plaque on our teeth. So what you're wanting to try and do in this circumstance is your first step is, I would think, increase the frequency of your chewing. So it, it, it can be chicken wings, as you, as you mentioned, but it can be toys, it can be other things. So okay. I, I think generally it's about um, frequency needs to increase and that will often help with that plaque build-up. Okay, and there is the doggy toothbrush Absolutely, brushing your teeth on a daily basis. There you go. Look, that's all we've got time for today for Pet Chat. Thank you, everyone, who phoned in with their questions. Cheryl and Paul, thank you both. Another uh, very informative show. Yeah, it was a good show. Always learn a lot on 2NURFM 103.7. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.